0: Have you ever had that moment where you're teaching through or you're reading through the Bible and some section of scripture just absolutely resonates with the season that you find yourself in? I mean, like in a very special, like, okay, God, I get it. I understand. Um, You know, all right, we'll do it. And, you know, this last year as a church in Bistritza, we started working our way through the book of Revelation. And one of my favorite letters in the book of Revelation is the letter that Jesus wrote to the church in Philadelphia. The city of brotherly love and named so due to the devotion that one brother had for another. Historically, that city was established to make it a center for spreading Greek culture and language and manners throughout Asia and beyond. This is one of the two churches, when you read through those first three chapters, that Jesus has no correction for. Like, they're not doing anything wrong. And when we looked at that, I was like, man, this is what I would desire for my church. It's like, it's like if there's something that we should pursue as a church, it's what's going on with the Church of Philadelphia. You know, if this is something I want for my own life, and you know, as a church, we found ourselves in this letter around the time when Russia decided to attack our neighbor, Ukraine. And for those of you who don't know, um, our city, the is about three and a half hours from the border, depending on which way you drive, from the Ukrainian border. And, uh, Initially, there was just a, a, a lot of scrambling trying to figure out, you know, as a small church, what do, how, how can we serve? How can we help? Because it's like, man, you know, this is the first time that um, we've ever been in this type of a situation personally. And, and this letter was instrumental in reminding me that the mission of the church is always the same it's to proclaim the gospel message, to make disciples of all nations. But, how, but As a church, we need to be able to adapt and be ready to step through doors of opportunity that the Lord gives us that maybe they were never on our radar. The challenge is always how we react when God comes and said, hey, here's a door that I put in front of you. How do we react to that? If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verses 7 through 9. It says this. It says, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Jesus introduces himself as the one who is holy holy. And true. And when you think of that word holy, you know, what kind of a picture comes to your mind? And in many church circles, when you bring that up, they, they think holiness is a matter of keeping a certain set of rules, usually around tobacco or alcohol or dancing or movies. Interestingly enough, none of which are spoken about in Scripture. Ask that question to your average Romanian and they would say, well, I know exactly what holiness looks like. Holiness is a priest that lives his entire life and works in a monastery. That's what holiness looks like. If you were to go and ask the people in Jesus' time what, what holiness looks like, they would, they would say, well, it's the Pharisees, those separated ones. And they were the best at keeping all of the regulations and the rituals of the time. And, and they're holy. And yet if we examine the life of Jesus in the Gospels, he didn't meet the cultural definition of holy. He made a habit of spending time and sharing meals with those that no Pharisee would risk touching in the street. And yet Jesus is the most holy person that's ever lived. Being holy in our conduct is, is you know, we, we need to take away things. It has to deal with taking away sexual immorality and impurity and passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from our mouth. We're also to add things to our life, right? We're to be compassionate in our hearts and kind, have kindness and humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if we have a complaint against one another, we are quick to forgive Holiness, as the Bible shows us, is a product of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and who enables me to live a holy life and produces in me the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And Jesus embodies all of those things. Jesus is also true. You can understand this as being genuine or authentic, and if there's anything that, as an, an expatriate, understands is what authentic means. You know, um, there's two things when we come back to the States that we seek out. One is root beer, because you cannot get that in Romania. You can try to make it. We've done that. You get root beer extract, and you use mineral water that has bubbles in it, it it's okay. Um, Just make sure you drink it quickly and not think about it too much. The other thing that we seek out is authentic Mexican food, right? We went for a bike ride this past week, and the whole purpose of the bike ride was the search for tacos. And, you know, we can get... Mexican food in Romania. There's a city about four hours south of us that has a Romanian Mexican restaurant. It is good if you don't think of it as authentic Mexican food. (laughs) There's a difference, you know, between someone who's actually lived in America and understands what Mexican food is supposed to taste like and what it's supposed to look like and what kind of seasonings go in it versus someone that's like, yeah, that's pretty close. You know, there is a difference between parsley and cilantro. (laughs) They may look the same, but they are not the same, and that is not a substitute. I don't care what you tell me. Jesus is authentic, and he is ultimately what we all desire at the core of our being. God Placed before this church, Philadelphia, an open door. I love how it's like a continuous open door. The reasons why he gives us, he says, number one is because you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. And as a church, that should be our goal, maintaining a faithful testimony in word and in actions. Because of their past faithfulness, they were prepared for the next opportunity that the Lord was setting before them. The city was named after the the love and devotion that two brothers had for one another. We don't know what the atmosphere of the city was at that time. But see, this letter was not written to a city. It was written to a church in that city. And a church needs to be holy, genuine, and demonstrate what true brotherly love looks like. Jesus talking to his disciples said, your love and your devotion towards one another, that is what's going to mark you as distinct in this world. It's going to mark you as my followers. The church was given a continuous open door because they were just being the church. Many times the church gets wrapped up in a lot of things that's not doesn't have anything to do with the mission of the church. We're to be separate, we're to be authentic, and we're to be known for our love for one another. And a church that makes that a part of their DNA, that is a church that adapts while still fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, this doesn't mean perfection. Rather, it's about engaging in an honest process of becoming more like Jesus. Authentic Christians, we don't pretend to be perfect. There's enough of that around. When we mess up, we're quick to admit it. When we understand what gra- the grace of God and how, and we're quick to give it when it's needed to other people. And this opportunity that we see here, I, I love this. It has nothing to do with their strength. If you remember, Jesus says, "Look, I know you have little strength." It wasn't because they were powerful. It wasn't because they were influential. It wasn't because they were, had all these connections or a large number of people or an amazing celebrity pastor like you guys have or a great worship team and a fog machine. It was because they had little strength. They, they were small. They were small in number. They were small in influence, There was nothing about them that made people think, of course, this is why they've been given this opportunity. And yet, God has a habit throughout Scripture of championing things that others would dismiss. God loves using imperfect, insignificant things in the eyes of this world to accomplish amazing things through the power of His Spirit. And this is so important for us to understand. Because what that means is this, is that God can and desires to use anyone. Anybody has access to this. It also means that when we're presented with these opportunities, how do we react to it? Do we have a habit of going through and checking our inventory? You know, it's like, well, you know, man, finances are tight, Lord. I don't know if I could do that. Or, Lord, I don't have the resources. Or I'm constrained by time limits. Or I'm too young. Or I'm too old. Or I'm too married. Or my kids are too young. Or my kids are too old. Or now we have grandkids. How many times have opportunities never been crossed because people are focusing on the wrong thing. Instead of focusing on God's limitless power, they look to their own strength reservoir. They God acknowledges here. He says, look, I know you're not very strong. He says, I know exactly who you are and where you're at, and I've already been preparing you for this opportunity. I want you to think about that. Did you know that you are uniquely you? There's no one like you. There's no one that looks like you. There's no one that has your personality, your skills, your gifts, none of it. And God, if you were to go back 500 years, has been arranging relationships all the way through to make you uniquely you. Before the United States was even a country, God was working to make you uniquely you with your giftings for his purposes, for his plan to reach a dying world. Someone might be, well, I, I disagree with that. Well, David recognized. The God formed him in the womb and knit him together, making him uniquely him. Psalms 139, 13 through 16 says this. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance and your In your book was written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. David was a shepherd, a special forces soldier, a hero, a poet, and a king. And he acknowledges here, he says, look, God, you shaped me into who I was to become before I was ever born. God has a plan, and he's already been preparing you for it, He's inviting us to walk through it. And that can be on a big scale or a little scale. It doesn't matter the size of the door. The door is only the opportunity. And God says, "I want you to, I want you to go through it. An open door can also show us our insecurities. It can show us maybe we have prejudices. Maybe we have spiritual blind spots that we have never considered before. Before someone says, well, I don't have any prejudice, it's like, okay, understand something. There's only one person in the entire history of humanity that can say he he was never prejudiced, and that's Jesus. Let me put it this way. Each and every one of us have those people in our life. Do you know what I mean by those people? Those people that it's like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't invite them over, you know? Maybe if you see them coming down the sidewalk, you're like, hmm, oh, look, there's something over on the other side that's really important for me to go to. We all have those people in our life, and yet God's like, you know what, that's an opportunity for you. It's an opportunity for you to share my love and my grace with them. Open doors ultimately show us where our confidence is. And one of my favorite examples we find is in Numbers chapter 13. Israel, God brings them to the edge of the promised land. This is the first time he's getting ready to take them into the promised land. And they decide, hey, let's send 12 spies in to see the land. Check it out. Let's explore it a little bit. And then these 12 spies, they come back and they... Give a report, and we'll pick it up in verse 27 of chapter 13. It says, And then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. Truly, it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And then, verse 30, Caleb, I love Caleb, quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once. And take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Go down to verse thirty-three. It says, "And then we, there we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight." God brings the people to the edge of the Promised Land. They send in twelve spies. the the 12 spies come back and they're like, it is exactly like God said it was going to be. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is amazing. Look at this fruit that we brought back. So they brought back show and tell. But then there's this interesting word there, nevertheless. You know, my kids like to use that word. They don't use nevertheless, but they use a similar word, something called but. (laughs) And as a parent... Maybe you've heard that in your parenting experience. And what it means is that everything that I said up until that point, ignore because what's happening is coming next. It's like, but nevertheless, right? Yeah, all this great stuff is here. Nevertheless, there's giants in the land. There's armies. There's fortresses. And notice where their focus is. Notice where their confidence is. It says, we are like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we are in their sight. All of this, at best, was an exaggeration. At worst, it was a lie, and people bought it. Two other guys in that same group, they saw exactly the same thing, Joshua and Caleb. They observed everything that the other ten did, and yet their conclusion was completely different than the conclusion of the other ten. Never mind that the Lord has provided for them their entire journey. He gave them food. He gave them water. He gave them meat. He gave them protection. Even earlier in their journey, if you go through, he kept them from war because he says they're not ready for it yet. They'll lose heart. They need more time with me. But then they get to the promised land and God's like, okay, you're ready now. Now it's time to step through. And they didn't. Because their focus was on them, not the Lord. There are many doors in life that will ask us how much faith we have in God, but the question is never phrased that way. It's always phrased like this. Do I think that I can do this? Shifting the focus from the person that has never failed to the person that, if we're honest, fails all the time. I want you to think about it in your own life. How many times has God failed you? None. I've had God not do what I wanted in my own life. I've had God, you know, it's like, God, I wish you would do this. It didn't happen. But never once in the entire time that we've served him, even before we went to Romania, has he ever failed? Never once has he ever failed. We live in a world that is deeply divided. And what this also means is that there's so many opportunities presented before us by the Lord. This world needs a church to simply be the church and keep the main thing, the main thing where we're known for our love and our devotion to one another, holding on to the truth of the gospel and our neighbor and stubbornly refusing to let go of either. Because this is what God did for us. You see, God pursued each and every one of us that are his followers and worked through someone. Someone, if you think about it, someone was there. And God used them and you were the opportunity for them. You were the, the, the door that they had to uncomfortably go through to talk to. And yet they introduced you to a God that is absolutely crazy about you. He loves you so much. And that's what he's called the church to do, is to be a place where there's no walls, no division, no hatred, simply people who come from all walks of life and find unity in Jesus. You look outside the walls of a church, you're going to see chaos. Guess what? That's the way it's going to be. That's the way it's always going to be, because that's humanity apart from Christ. It's not going to get better but within the walls of the church the body of Christ people find unity in Jesus and guess what he is more than sufficient to deal with any of the drama that we bring in where we can say you know what i am a complete idiot but i but my future is bright and it's freely available to anybody really available to anyone god is equal opportunity i've seen this in a small way through what's happening across the border in ukraine we have romanian and ukrainian churches that are working together to serve people most of which don't know jesus personally Now that may sound interesting to you, but you need to understand something. If you've ever studied World War II history, you know that Romania, uh, if you weren't Jewish and you weren't a minority like Roma, the Nazis pretty much kind of left you alone. But when Russia came in to free Romania, it was brutal. And a lot of the soldiers were Ukrainian. And Romanians don't forget that. You talk to anybody from that period of time and they'll tell you it was horrible. And yet, what do we see here in the body of Christ? We see a city, Cernuz, which is about 300,000 people right across the border from Romania. Before World War II, that was a part of Romania, and that was given to Ukraine. You have all of these churches working together to serve people that need it desperately. And you know what you don't see? You don't see drama. You don't see turf battles. In fact, you see Baptists and Pentecostals in the same room, and no chairs are getting thrown. That's what the church should be like. That is amazing for us to be a part of it because they, working together, they do amazing things, and they serve a lot of people, and we get to be just a small part of that, and you guys helping has made, it, it made us a small part of that. where they can help people. We need to also understand this, is that when we do step through that door, you know what? There's always going to be uncertainty and there's always going to be resistance. There's always going to be uncertainty with doors. You know, you ever know, We're never. did you notice when we read that? You're never told what the open door is. We can speculate, but we're not told what the open door is. It doesn't tell us. I've given you an open door, but we're not told what it is. And truth be told, most doors in life don't come with flashing neon lights in them. Saying, here it is. There's always an element, there's always an element of faith involved. There's always an uh, there many times in life you have to prayerfully just say, Lord, is this what you want from me? Is this what you have for me? And you have to just kind of make mistakes along the way and kind of work your way through it until as you learn it. And, and, You know what? But that's okay. That's part of a walk of faith. But there's also conflict. Anytime that you attempt anything, understand something. If it's in this, if it's of the spirit, Satan is not going to sit back and say, oh, that's okay. It's not a big deal. I'll let you have that. No. He says, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. When you and I step out in faith, there's always going to be opposition. Philadelphia was going to experience conflict with what Jesus calls the synagogue of Satan. How's that for a church name? Satan is always the adversary. Satan is always going to be there to make you question everything. Did God really want you to do this? Is this where you're supposed to be? You know, you're not being used very well here. The grass is always greener on the other side. I love how the Paul, Apostle Paul writes it. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16.9. He says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Paul's like, I have a great opportunity, and there's adversaries. Opportunity always means conflict. This door is placed in front of them. You'll notice the text doesn't say, and I'm gonna make you walk through it. It simply says, look, I've given you an opportunity. I'm asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to walk through it. Which always brings us back to where is my focus and my confidence? How do we have courage to walk through the doors of opportunity that God gives us? Turn to me, if you have a Bible, you can turn to, me to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is taking over leadership of the nation Israel before they go into the promised land. And God tells Joshua, he just sums it up very quickly. Verse 2 Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua, you're promoted. Now therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, no man shall be able to stand before you. All the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to you and their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success have i not commanded you be strong and of good courage do not be afraid nor dismayed for the lord your god is with you wherever you go god tells joshua i want you to go through this door But you need to muster your strength and you need to rally your courage. You need to be strong and of good courage. Joshua, you're going to be challenged. You're going to be overwhelmed or feel overwhelmed. You're going to be disappointed. You're probably going to be frustrated. You're going to be scared with the journey that is ahead. But I want you to be brave and I want you to go anyway. What do we do if we don't know how to summon our courage? Where do we get courage from? Like if, like the church, we, we're like, hey, I have little strength. And the answer is here. We find this with how God encourages Joshua. I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Three times God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. followed twice by reminding him why he should be strong and courageous. Because I will be with you and I will not forsake you. Our house in Bistritsa has a basement. And for the entirety of their lives, our kids were petrified of going down into the basement. I don't know what it is with basements. I was talking to Tucker. He said he had a similar experience at his house. Something about dark basements freaked kids out. And, you know, they would always like, every time it's like, hey, can you go get this for me? No, there's monsters down there. I'm like, it's, it's okay, Cade, you're 20. You, you're bigger <laughs> you're bigger than the monster, okay? You could choke him out, it's fine. You know, or there's rats, or there's spiders. You name it, over the years, Cynthia and I have heard every reason why you can't go down to the basement. And we could have tried any number of approaches that get them to venture down in the basement and actually had in the past, you know. You could have tried the good solid parent logical argument. It's like, you know what, you're being silly. That's stupid. There's a light switch down there. It's safe. I wouldn't send you into a place that's not safe. Why don't you just go down in the basement? Made sense to us. Can't convince a 10-year-old. It's like, no, you don't know. It's like, well, I'm pretty sure much I do, but... You know, you could have tried the spiritual argument. It's like, you know what, God doesn't want you to be afraid. And you can get the little books and, and it's like God doesn't want you to be afraid. And and you know it's great advice, still never manage to convince a kid to go down in the basement. Or finally you could try compassion. You know what? I know what it's like to be afraid. I'll walk with you down in the basement. Now, I was never afraid of walking down in the basement. I've fallen down the stupid stairs in the basement a few different times. Very tricky, by the way, in the winter when you're carrying a load of wood in your hands. However, never afraid, but I don't like flying, ironically. I hate it. I don't like landing and I don't like takeoffs. Once you get up in the top and I don't think about it, it's fine. But you know, we all know what it's like to be afraid. And God told Joshua, look, I will be with you wherever you go. Fear not. Jesus said the same thing to his 11 disciples when he sent them out into all the nations. He says, look, he didn't say, he's like, don't be afraid. He says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. You muster your courage by realizing that God is with you as you walk through these doors of opportunity. Doors that he has prepared for you and invites you to go through, but that he also understands that he goes before you. He already knows what's coming. And if you read through the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, the disciples, and likewise our entire walk with the Lord is simply walking by faith through the opportunity. For the continuous opportunities that God places in front of us. Whether that's individually or corporately as a church. God has called you to step out in faith. He wants us. Is it easy? No. Examine the book. Again, go back to the book of Acts. There were literally times where Paul had to be personally encouraged by Jesus. Paul continued to speak up. I have many people in this city. Don't be discouraged, Paul. Don't be dismayed. Don't get down on yourself. Step out in faith, Paul. That's the Apostle Paul that Jesus is talking to. Jesus had to show up and say, Paul, come on, buddy. Let's get at it. I don't know what opportunities God has placed before you, I don't know what God is stirring in your hearts to do for his kingdom how he wants to work in you and through you to make a difference in someone's life. I want to encourage you, though. Do this, though. Simply be open to God changing your plan. It's like, God, I don't know what the future holds, but you do. Lord, I want to give you, my, I want to give you the rest of my day today. I want to give you tomorrow. Tomorrow. I want to give you next week. I want to give you next month. Lord, I want to give you my job. Is this where you want me to stay or do you want me to do something different? Be open to God changing the plan. I do know that those who are Jesus' disciples were all called to the Great Commission whether that's locally or if you're called possibly moving to a foreign country, God invites people into his mission to reach people who, like us previously, were separated from God, dead in our trespasses, and enslaved to our sin. Yet we were rescued from drowning in our own sin. And given an opportunity now, we get to show people and point people to Jesus, the rescuer. So let's, the, so let's let the church be the church and walk through faith the opportunities that God gives us.